0: Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 17 of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, happy to be with you for the 17th installment of, let's just say, one of your favorite Patriots podcasts, and it's always a pleasure to be with you. Today's show is another loaded one for you. We're going to have Connor Rogers from the Stick to Football podcast. He's going to join us for a section I've decided to call. Quality time. I've been bouncing around ideas for a name for the guest segment. I was going to go with 15 Good Minutes as sort of an homage to Craig Kilborn. who, by the way, if you like Craig Kilborn or even if you don't, follow him on Instagram. His Instagram is incredibly, incredibly funny. But he used to have on his show Five Good Minutes. I was thinking of a play on that, 15 Good Minutes, but I wanted to go in my own direction. So we're going to start calling the guest segment Quality Time. I just like that. So we're going to spend some quality time today with Connor Rogers. Also, we're going to talk about the Jets. We're going to talk about some injuries. But more importantly, we're going to talk about the Jets' pass rush. Look, it's shaping up like this should be a good weekend for the New England Patriots and their fans. The Jets come to town. They're banged up. They've looked not great over the pers- first two games, first two weeks of the season. But if there is one thing to worry about, it might be their pass rush. And I know I spent a lot of time yesterday saying, oh, look, the tackles, the backups, they're Cunningham. Kind of they're okay. Don't worry about them. And now I'm going to kind of make you take everything you heard yesterday and sort of throw it out the window and kind of scare you about the Jets' pass rush. But before we do any of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders, please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, and yes, that trio of SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the Honorable Michael J. Kiss, And, of course, here on Pat's Pulpit, where I am proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network, and I do some film work from time to time. We're going to get to some of that film work in a minute. But some news that dropped yesterday. I'm recording this on Wednesday, so it dropped on Tuesday after I recorded with Taylor. After I had recorded my part of the show, Isaiah went going to injured reserve with Turf Toe. Now, the hope is that they can manage this and bring this back and bring him back at some point during this season. So he's out at least eight weeks on injury reserve due to the turf toe, but he's eligible to begin practice in six weeks. And so the hope is that the Patriots can sort of get through the next couple of weeks, get him back, and bring him back up to speed. So that's some of the injury news. We also had an injury report released today on Wednesday that had some new names on it. James Devlin. Did not participate in practice due to a neck injury. Same with Shalee Calhoun. He did not participate, although that was non-injury related. The Devlin one worries me a bit. I've talked about Devlin a lot over the past couple of shows. Followers of my work from before, Locked on Patriots, know how I feel about Devlin. He did not participate. And of course, when you get this designation for this player, it concerns people. Limited participation with a calf, Tom Brady. Now, I do think this is sort of the managing Brady pitch count type of thing. But anytime he pops up on the injury report, the ears perk up a bit. So that will also be something to watch. Other players who were limited, Matt Lacoste, the tight end with an ankle, Caleb Benioch, the newly acquired offensive lineman, also with a calf and offensive tackle Marcus Cannon with his shoulder injury. Full participation, Brandon Bolden. He's back after he was downgraded from questionable to out last weekend with a hamstring injury, but he was in full capacity on Wednesday. Now let's, after spending yesterday talking up the Patriots' offensive line and how they protected Tom Brady, let's scare you to death about the Jets because to give you a little window into the life of Uncle Mark, what I do once the good old all-22 drops, whenever it finally drops, is I try to watch as much quarterback play as I can. That's my thing. That's what I do. I try to watch anywhere from 12 to 16 quarterbacks their full entire game on the coach's view to try to get a sense of it. That gives me, hopefully, if I can get to 12, maybe 16, watch half the guys, that will should give me roughly eight games on each quarterback. That's a pretty good sample size. Now, obviously, some guys I watch more. Mitchell Trubisky. I watch all of Mitchell Trubisky. I'm just saying. Part of what I have to do. I watch all of Carson Wentz or whoever's playing for the Eagles because, again, that's what I have to do. Obviously, I watch all of Tom Brady because, again, that's what I have to do. So you throw that into the mix. I'm watching a lot of quarterback play. And now I've watched now all of Josh Allen to this date. Kind of impressed, i got to say. We're going to talk more about Josh Allen next week. But that gave me a chance to watch the Jets' defense in week one. And obviously, I watched the Jets against the Browns to get ready for this week in these shows. They got after Josh Allen. They were knocking him around. They got after Baker Mayfield. and They were knocking him around. And part of it is just guys winning one-on-one reps. Now, there's going to be a piece complementary to this podcast going up on Pat's Pulpit where I break down six different pass Russian plays from the Jets' defense. And I'm going to walk you through some of it, because like I said, some of these are just guys wooden one-on-ones. The first example in the article is Jordan Jenkins in a two-point stance outside the tight end, and then Leonard Williams is part of the three-man line. It's just a four-man rush. They get Leonard Williams isolated against left guard Quinton Spain for the Buffalo Bills, and he just drives him back into the lap of Josh Allen. Very similar to the Shaq Mason sack that he gave up last Sunday against the Dolphins. So that's an example of just a guy winning a one-on-one matchup. Not the only time Quentin Spain get, gets beat in this article, let alone this game. we we'll going to have more on that in a second. Another example is Jenkins this time on the edge against left tackle Deion Dawkins, again in that Buffalo game in week one. Jenkins comes off the edge, gets into Dawkins, the left tackle locks out his arms initially, then stacks him, sheds him almost effortlessly, gets to Josh Allen. The hit by Jenkins on Allen knocks the ball out and the Jets recover. Again, two plays. Guys were in one-on-one matchups and they came on successive downs. One was first down, the other was second down. You get a one-on-one from Leonard Williams against the left guard and a one-on-one from Jenkins against the left tackle. Both players win their reps. You get a a sack on the first play and then, no, actually a throwaway on the first play, and then a strip sack fumble in the second play. Another example came from Monday night of a guy winning a one-on-one. This is now Terrell Basham, was pressed into action due to injuries. We're going to talk about him in a moment in our quality time with Connor Rodgers. But against the Browns on Monday night, there came a play late in the second quarter, or early in the second quarter, excuse me. Mayfield's in the gun. Jets aligned. Henry Anderson and Basham, each on a two-point stance on each edge. They rush just four. Basham's matched up against the left tackle. Has a tr- fantastic pass rushing plan here. Uses his hands extremely well. They're very active. Counters the movements of the left tackle. Chops him with the hands and a quick rip with the left arm to get underneath him, run the arc, gets to Mayfield, gets a sack. Now, Mayfield could have got, could have gotten the ball out of his hands quicker, but still, three plays, two different games, guys winning one-on-one reps. That's part of what the Jets have been able to do. But Greg Williams, to his credit, has done some good stuff schematically. Now, I'm not going to talk about him a lot in this free safety as a punt returner. That's him doing some questionable stuff schematically. But they use some great stunt packages, one of which... The first play I highlight is something I've talked about before in On Patriots. The Tech Stunt, which is a tackle-end exchange where the defensive end crashes inside and the nose tackle looping around to the outside. They use this against the Bills. Basham comes, excuse me, it's Quinton Williams who loops around to the outside behind Bronson Kafusi, who knifes to the inside. Josh Allen sees the initial move by Kafusi coming inside, and he thinks, I can escape around him to the outside. And he basically runs himself right into the loop from Quinton Williams, their first-round draft choice. Allen gets baited into thinking he can escape to the outside. Quinton Williams shuts the door on that. Allen then sort of escapes to the backside, runs away from Quentin Williams, and turns it into a four-yard gain. But let's be honest with ourselves, dear friends. If Tom Brady does that, he's not running this into a four-yard gain. He might pull a hamstring or something trying to do that. Now, the bright side of that is Tom Brady probably doesn't initially think or get baited into escaping the pocket to begin with. He probably recognizes the stunt better than Allen does. But still, that little tackle end exchange, something to think about. Another thing they did, which was kind of scary to me, this is again against the Bills. They use what we can term a will-safety-nose stunt. That's sort of incorporating some of the Patriots terminology and how they term stunts when they're viewing them from the offensive standpoint. Nose tackle Leonard Williams on this play aligns in the B gap between the left tackle and the left guard, and he loops to the opposite A gap between the center and the right guard. He vacates that side of the formation, but then off-ball linebacker Hewitt blitzes Neville Hewitt, number 46 blitzes, as well as safety, Jamal Adams. And you've also got a defensive end on that side as well. Jenkins gets matched up against the left tackle. And so now you've got, with the back and the left guard, Quentin Spain, here's that name again, you've got three separate one-on-ones. That stunt followed by the two blitzers, the linebacker and the safety, creates three different one-on-ones. You've got Jenkins on the left tackle, Deion Dawkins. You've got the running back picking up Jamal Adams. And both of those players handle their blocks. But now you create another one-on-one with an off-ball linebacker against Quentin Spain. And Neville just, I mean, Hewitt, Neville Hewitt just jukes him. Speed rush move, fakes to one side, runs right by him, gets right into Josh Allen. So they, they've kind of blended the two things we're talking about. Scheme and create a one-on-ones. Neville Hewitt wins his. Final play that's in the piece. Again, you can read it. You can see all this stuff. And they use a weak end nose stunt. So you get a three-man front. They only rushed three on this play against the Browns. They use Hewitt as a spy against Baker Mayfield. And both one defensive end and the nose tackle slant to their right over a couple of gaps, towards the third pass rusher, in this case, Kafusi, who loops around behind them to the opposite edge. Baker sees the initial slants from Basham and Williams, thinks, again, similar to Josh Allen in a previous example, I can escape to the outside now. These guys are slanted inside, and he runs right into the looper. That forces Baker back to the left. He briefly escapes the pocket and tries a downfield throw, but he gets batted down because... The spy and Hewitt and other guys arrive. The cavalry arrives and it knocks down the pass. So now these are, again, young quarterbacks facing some different exotic stunts, but they're getting baited into making mistakes. So the hope, if you're a Patriots fan, is A, the Patriots' offensive line, including these two reserve tackles, unless Cannon can go, and in which case it's one reserve tackle, sort of do a better job at passing off these stunts. But the hope is also B, Tom Brady doesn't get baited into some of these mistakes. And I think if you're a Patriots fan, you can feel pretty confident you might see a better quarterback handling these pockets in a much wiser and more, shall we say, composed manner. But again, Bill Belichick and Dante Skarniecki, I'm sure, are drilling into the heads of the offensive line. Anton Brady and everybody else, backs, tight ends, they're going to show some different looks, some exotic stunts. You've got to be ready for them. So that's going to be something I'll be keeping an eye on when this game kicks off on Sunday. Up next... Quality time with my friend Connor Rogers from the Stick to Football podcast. That is ahead on episode 17 of the SCO Show. And welcome back to episode 17 of the SCO Show. Probably a part of the Pat's Pulpit podcast network and brought to you as always by the great folks at SB Nation. And I could not be more excited for our next guest. And I know I always say that because it's the thing you say but i truly do love this dude he's a fantastic guy always get to spend a little bit of time with him down at the senior bowl he's one of the co-hosts of the stick to football podcast which i'm sure you all know but he's also a big jets guy and that's why we're bringing him on he is connor rogers connor buddy how you been
1: i'm good mark thanks for having me man it's been a minute it's always good to talk to you uh I feel like every time I talk to you, though, it's uh, the Jets, things are just in disarray. So here we go again, man, for another Jets-Pats week.
0: Here we go again. It's another Jets-Pats week. Things do seem to de-disarray, and that leads me to the initial question. Connor, what's the current state of the New York Jets?
1: Well, absolute panic and a little bit of hyperbole, too. It's funny how it goes in New York. When things are good, things are great. When things are bad, things are horrible. There's no really happy medium. And I understand people are upset that number one, the jets should not have lost week one to the bills. It's a game where you dominate three and a half quarter, uh, you know, three quarters and you lose with uh, as bad a fourth quarter as you could possibly play. As soon as CJ Mosley comes off the field, Sam Darnold says he was playing, you know, under the weather already. And and then you have no shot on Monday night against the Browns when you're missing your quarterback, you know, CJ Mosley, again, a couple other players. So The state of the Jets is they're hurt, and the state of the Jets is they're 0-2, and nobody cares about when you're hurt in the NFL. That's the problem. Now, on the flip side of it, it's very interesting because I think some of the media is already going after Adam Gase a little bit. Now, I was never the biggest Adam Gase fan as a hire, but I think... At the same time, you can't really fire a guy after two games. One of them, which Sam Darnold didn't even play. So (laughs) when it comes to it, it, things are chaotic right now, Mark. And uh, this was always going to be the case because the Jets' first six games uh, were never going to be easy. You know, with Buffalo and Cleveland, which are so-so games, they they definitely let those, you know, obviously get away from them. But then you got the stretch of the Patriots twice, the Eagles and Cowboys, before things really, really tailor off. So. They're looking forward to getting Sam Darnold back and and seeing if they can make a run down the stretch. But this right now is not going to be good.
0: You know, Connor, let's, you know, another big picture type question here. You were at that game Monday night. It seemed when I was watching it live, then rewatched. It seems like Cleveland and New York had a bit sort of extra for this game. A lot of big hits, a lot of late hits, stuff like that. Did you get that impression as well? And if so, what was fueling that, do you think?
1: (laughs) I did, and I think a lot of it was maybe Greg Williams, you know, yeah. Odell's return. Yeah, it wasn't against the Giants, but Odell felt a certain way coming back to MetLife, and uh, there's always there's always a spotlight around Odell. Greg always brings the spotlight around himself, and I think, honestly, Mark, there's just a lot of pressure on both these head coaches, and number one, once again, the Jets were, were big underdogs in this game without without their starting quarterback, and then they were really without their second-string quarterback, who I think... Could have kept him hovering around in it before he obviously, you know, hurt his ankle. And when it comes down to it, the the eyes are on Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield right now. When you have as loud an offseason as they have had, you got to go out and win football games. And they got embarrassed week one on their home field against a not-so-great Tennessee team. Not a bad one, but a not-so-great Tennessee team where when the pressure's on, it gets in everyone's heads and they come out a little different and they take it out on each other. And I think we saw that. Monday night uh, under the lights because right down to the final play I mean you you've read it they already they had to take Jamal Adams out of the game and I I really do think that was not a disciplinary action against Jamal Adams I think it was more so they were just concerned of getting out of the game and not trying to lose another one of their star players
0: I wanted to start with that Jets defense, and it seems to me that perhaps the pass rush from New York might be a strength right now. They got after Allen, knocked him around in week one, pressured Baker a bunch on Monday night. In your mind, is that the strength of this defense right now, is their pass rush?
1: It, it surprisingly looks like one because of how well Greg has actually dialed things up at times, because they don't really have a great pass rusher. That's what's interesting with the Jets. They don't. Jordan Jenkins is a solid player on the edge. He actually got hurt Monday night. And then you look, Henry Anderson, I think, has been very, very good since they acquired him. They're very fortunate that uh, they landed him because whatever is going on with Leonard Williams, he gets worse every year. He had a great rookie season, and he's just been so, so since. This year, he's been bad. There's, there's no way around it. He's been bad this year. And then, you know, that's why they need Quinton Williams on the field. He's been on the field for, uh, I think, 18 snaps this year before he got hurt. They need Quinton Williams on the field to, to play with Henry Anderson and and obviously, you know, whatever they can get on the outside with the edge. But they bring Jamal Adams on the blitz. They like to blitz their linebackers. C.J. Mosley, when he's on the field, is amazing at the time to blitz. So, hey, you know, dialing up a pass rush has definitely been a strength for the team, while the secondary definitely has not been.
0: You know, two guys that have flashed sort of in the pass rushing realm for me. You mentioned Anderson. Terrell Basham as well I Was rewatching some of their pressure packages, their stunts and stuff. And both of those guys seem to be able to get after passers. How have those two guys been in your mind?
1: Yeah, Basham's getting a chance here. You know, obviously with Brandon Copeland, uh, I think he's you know obviously still serving a suspension here. And then you know, I said Jenkins got hurt, Jakai Polite got cut. There's been a weird opportunity for Basham, and he's been okay. That's you know, it's coming out of college. I know you and I both watched him, and there was always flashes and spurts there of a player that can get upfield and get after the quarterback. So not bad so far. I think Anderson's definitely been the bit of the star in terms of this group up front. And once again, they're definitely going to be looking forward to Quentin Williams' return. So they're just kind of trying to throw, you know, throw stuff at the wall and see yeah. what sticks on the edge. And and Basham has kind of been one of those guys right now.
0: A couple of seasons ago, the Jets made the decision to draft two safeties early. Jamal Adams, Marcus May. Now, look, both guys are starters. Adams is a captain. I like both players, but they had interesting weeks. Adams gets flagged for a rough and call. Like you said, he gets benched. They sit him down apparently never followed the Jets on social media, which I guess is a thing. And then you've got May <laughs> yeah. taking uh, an interested angle on the Odell t- town, so to speak. How are the Jets feeling about these safeties? Still feeling good, or are there questions?
1: Yeah, well, I think Adams has been the star for a bit over a year right now, and May missed a lot of last year after a phenomenal rookie season. Marcus May, actually, I thought was the... the but besides CJ Mosley, and he got hurt, so he even missed some time. Marcus May was their best defensive player week one against the Bills. He played... A lights out game. If he, if one interception got away from him, that might have closed it. But he really had a strong game. The the missed, you know, the the bad angle against Odell. Uh, I don't want to make excuses for him, but I just don't understand why Greg Williams lines a guy up right. so far off. Where he's not in the screen on the initial play. It's and and May is the type of guy he will never make excuses. He'll be the first to tell you. He just misjudged, obviously, Odell, rare, rare kind of acceleration and top speed. And May will be the first to tell you he just didn't make the play. And I think a lot of guys in the league don't make that play. I think no guys in the league make that play in Greg's system, where you're kind of taking away the angle. When you're sitting that far back on a pass underneath like that, if he's playing up, you have a better chance to make the tackle at the catch point. And that's why it's so frustrating I I can't explain what Greg is trying to do with this, but he left his player hung out to dry. But, May, will tell you, he he missed the tackle, he missed the play, and that's unfortunately the one that people are going to remember. I still think he's one of the better uh, players on this defense for sure, and I think he's really, if he could just stay healthy, he'll be around for a long time. Jamal's obviously a playmaker. Uh, These two are very, very good football players. The problem is they're trying to cover so much ground because this team has nothing at cornerback right
0: now you know speaking of Greg Williams do you think he ever stops lining his safety up as a punt returner or do you think he's Uh, always going to do this
1: no I think he's always going to do it because he's been beat by it so many times and he still does it it's crazy to me but this is Greg I mean Greg is somebody who kind of will sit there and you know he's uh he'll die on this hill I guess he'll he'll be kind of a coaches are stubborn Mark they really are the more I've gotten uh to know people around the league and it's amazing how – and that's, a, that's not a, even an insult sometimes. Sometimes coaches are stubborn where it helps them. I think there's also times where it hurts them. And, and I think for Greg, he's somebody where he's had some success, and I think he'll never get away from you know, what he's always done because of that early success or at least the success many years ago.
0: Let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. You've got Darnold out with Mono. He says he's feeling better. But with him out, this passing game struggled. Simeon's now out for the season until Darnold is back. It looks like it's the Luke Falk show. That doesn't exactly bode well for the passing game, Connor, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. And Luke Falk is somebody when he was out of Washington State. You know, well, he's a really smart guy. He's an accurate player. Probably a long-term backup in this league. Yeah. And that's the ceiling.
0: <laughs> that's right. the
1: problem here. So when it comes down to it, I don't think Luke Falk was ready to play this year. Now I will say he didn't do anything stupid on Monday yep. night. He actually understood where his checkdown was. He had the one shot to Robbie Anderson that was, you know, a little underthrown, but at least he made it. He let it, he let his go-to guy make a play on the football. So it's, it's hard to sit here and kill Falk, but at the same time, you'd be a fool to sit here and say, Luke Falk's going to come out and light it up. It's, the Jets' offense has gone from Sam Darnold, who is absolutely a gun kind of quarterback. He will like to get out of the pocket and push the football down the field and take his chances. You go to Trevor Simeon, somebody who is not a deep ball artist, but somebody who can at least move the football up the field occasionally at times, not a lot, to Falk, who it, it's just really hard to picture this offense moving forward, Mark. It, it really is. They're sitting and waiting until Sam Darnold comes back. I mean, the line of this game, I think is 23 and a half points. It's like, you understand why it's just, it's going to be the Le'Veon Bell show, but New England's smart. They know that. So it's unfortunate for Falk that he's in a situation where, and they're missing Quincy Anunua, who's one of their best, you know, yards after catch kind of guys in these games, you look to feed the guys that can create with their ball in their hands. That would be Anunwa, Chris Herndon. They're not playing in this game. So it's not getting any easier for an already really bad situation.
0: And perhaps making matters worse, the offensive line seems to have struggled, especially last week. And now we look, we know what Cleveland can do with Miles Garrett and company, but it seems like there are some issues up front. Do you agree with that assessment?
1: Oh, there definitely is. I think Kelvin Beecham had a horrendous game against Miles Garrett, and Beecham hasn't had a lot of horrendous games as a Jet. So Miles Garrett's a great player. I think Beecham is at best an average tackle, and that's been a problem. Uh, honestly, the interior has been a nightmare. I think Brian Winters was maybe the worst player on the field week one against the Bills. And, uh, you know, obviously Khalil coming in at center, he's been horrible to the point where he might be benched this week. Brandon Shell on, on the right side has been fine. A lot of Jets fans get on him. He really has not been the problem. And, and you know, Kalachiy assembly has been up and down and all five of those guys has, have had you know, great success at times in their careers. Uh, Winter's got the extension. Assembly was a consistent Pro Bowler there for a while. You know, Obviously, Beecham coming over from the Steelers in Jacksonville originally, and, and, and Shell is, is kind of the best one of the bunch right now, and he hasn't had that success. So it, it's a patchwork group of guys that just – it looks like they didn't play together this summer because they didn't. And, and even worse, they're all individually struggling. And it's once again, it's just not going to get any easier this week with a young quarterback back there that might not see the protection, uh, you know, the right way. He might not get the ball out on time, although I actually think he did a decent job of that on Monday night, all things considered. So they're in they're in big trouble right now where they, they really should be lining up. And, and, you know, I would say at times 12 personnel. But Adam Gates just seems to refuse to do that.
0: Speak. You mentioned Lev Bell. We know what he can do as a runner. We know what he can do in the passing game. But again, you're playing with backup quarterbacks, struggling offensive line. How has that Lev Bell experience worked out so far here for from two weeks?
1: Oh, he's been phenomenal. Uh, he hasn't really had much room to work with because the Jets offensive line, and I don't think they've been very creative under Adam Gase either, to be honest with you. And with no Sam Darnold back there Monday night, teams could really just step up in the box and, and shade and, and dedicate a lot of help to Bell. But He's forcing a lot of missed tackles. I think he leads the league in missed tackles forced by, or at least, uh, you know, by six. I think I was reading. I know he has a lot of yard. All of his yards are after contact. He's been very, very good. He's been actually, uh, really, as good as you could expect him to be. There's been no rust. He's been a a great teammate to everyone. That's one of the weird narratives of Bell. I never understand. He, He gets a bad character rap when he's one of the more loved guys in that locker room. But at the end of the day. He's a running back, and, and he can only do so much for himself.
0: Let's talk draft for a second, Connor. You, Matt and Mello, have been crushing it, as always, on Stick to Football. You've been traveling a ton. Looking ahead a bit, what players have impressed you so far this season besides, of course, LSU quarterback Joe Burrow?
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there's been Chase Young has been the best defensive yeah. player in the country week after week. I think Jeff Okuda, the corner behind him, has had a really nice season so far. I'm curious when things get more challenging how that group is going to look, because they look absolutely incredible right now. I think DeAndre Swift is the best running back in the country. I really think he is on par with a Christian McCaffrey-level running back prospect. That's how good this guy is as a pass catcher, as a runner, a strong runner, an elusive runner, a total package, total package kind of player. I love DeAndre Swift. Everybody's all over the Alabama receivers for good reason. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, they're they're great players. Ruggs is the fastest player in the country. He'll probably honestly be the fastest player in the NFL next year. And when I said that, people got, you know, up in arms. Like, what about Tyree Kale? Uh, Ruggs is somebody who can legitimately run a 4-2 kind of 40-yard dash, or maybe even fast. It's crazy how fast he is. It's absolutely crazy. Tua is my favorite quarterback so far. I know people like Herbert. Uh, Eason has a strong arm. You said Burrow, who's really been on the rise. Jalen Hurts has done himself a lot of favors by going to play under Lincoln Riley. Jordan Love at Utah State has all the traits you look for. Uh, but I think Tua is the guy that I feel safest at yeah. going with right now. Just the intermediate accuracy, the po- the feel in the pocket. And this is something I've learned over the years with these quarterbacks. You, you almost you can't undervalue the feel right. in the pocket because it just doesn't naturally come. It's actually something I want to see with Daniel Jones in his debut against a tough Todd Bulls defense. But as always, there's a lot of great players in the country this year, and that list just gets longer and longer and longer. But if you're a team picking in the top ten of the draft and you need a franchise cornerstone, there's going to be, guys, there's going to be options on the table this year.
0: We did get one listener question via the SCO show Slack channel from Mattia Rizzo all the way from Italy, and Connor, Mattia wants to know, do the Jets have a fighting chance this Sunday with how the situation at offensive line is shaping up in New England?
1: I mean, I would love to tell you they do, but this is just not the game for the New York Jets. You're going to Foxborough. You're starting Luke Falk. You're missing Chris Herndon. You know, that would be somebody that he can lean on to move the ball a little bit. I don't even see that. Uh, I don't know if C.J. Mosley's going to play. I don't know if Quentin Williams is going to play. It's just not a good – get to the bye week. I mean, get, get to the bye week, week four. Let's see who's back. Let's see who's ready uh it's a, you know and if i'm wrong uh, you know me mark right. i'll be the happiest man on the planet if i'm if the jets shock the world this would be the most shocking jets win i have ever seen in my life
0: there's your rallying cry friends get to the bye week connor fantastic stuff i'll get you out of here on this one not asking for a prediction but and i think you probably already answered this your expectations for sunday
1: well, I mean, I've been riding the Patriots covers for two straight weeks, and this is the first week I might not because –
0: It's a big that, number.
1: The line is so big.
0: It's a big number. And,
1: and and Bill will put his foot on the gas against anyone. We just saw him do it against his former assistant, Brian Flores, but it's just such a fat number. I, I don't know. I'll see how it goes. I think it's going to be a pretty boring game, honestly. The Jets defense, I'll give them this credit with Greg. They come out and fight. Baker Mayfield, I know the numbers look good, Mark. He did not play very well the right. other night. He missed a lot of throws. I thought the Browns could have won that game by 50 easily, very easily. So I think the Jets defense will – they'll put up a fight in the first half. They're not going to move the football. They're just not – it just—it honestly very much feels like a 35-6 to 6 kind of game. And that might be – I hate saying it. It might be a good scenario at that point.
0: Fantastic stuff as always, Connor. Thanks so much for spending some quality time here with us. Friends, that will do it for Episode 17 of the Sco Show. Don't forget, I will be back Saturday with Pat's Pulpit Raider Rewind and then after this game on Sunday. Until next time, friends, please keep on blessing that Patriots rain down in Foxborough.